Welcome to episode 104 of Stageworthy. I'm your host, Phil Rickaby. Stageworthy is a podcast about people in Canadian theatre featuring conversations with actors, directors, playwrights, and more. If you want to drop me a line, you can find Stageworthy on Facebook and Twitter at StageworthyPod, and you can find the website at StageworthyPodcast.com. My guest this week is Toronto Fringe Executive Director Lucy Evelyn. I had the pleasure of talking to her at the Fringe offices just shortly after she was named as the Executive Director. How's the uh, how's it going so far? It's good. I mean, it's literally um, it's well, a bit of a juggle at the moment because you're, you're doing the the general, the managing director, and, and the executive, executive director. director. Yeah. So yeah. you're doing two jobs right now. Yes. Um, do you sleep? <laughs> Not much. Okay. <laughs> um, is it in terms of the the difference between the two? Mm-hmm. Um, what? What is it, like? What is the difference between the managing director and the, and the executive director? The managing director is really involved with the with the sort of everyday hands on experience of the, the festival. So it's all, I'm well the the company, not just the festival. So I I deal with all the staff, I deal with all the artists, I deal with the everyday basically of the festival. Whereas the executive director is much more like the big picture, looking at grants, sponsorship, foundations. And also just sort of the vision of where is the company going, what's happening, you know. So it's more, there's hopefully more time to sort of be in the moment yeah. and figure out the, yeah, the, the sort of bit blue sky thinking of where the fringe is heading. It must be really difficult to do both jobs because they're two very different headspaces. Yeah, it is, but I also think I've been really lucky because I've been in the organization for five years. Mm-hmm. I know I know the fringe, so I'm not... So, you know, and Kelly and I work very collaboratively. The whole office works collaboratively. So it means that moving into this position, I'm not sort of... I'm not figuring it all out in the first instance. I know so much, so now I actually... Once somebody's in the position of managing director then I can I think I'll have the time to be able to think about the the big picture stuff and have the space to yeah. really because I'm not I'm not having to learn about the organization of as course, if I was somebody yeah. new yeah that's good so so you've been with the organization for five years already, mm-hmm. and you started juggling these two jobs mm-hmm. do you remember your first fringe experience As, yeah I did a fringe show okay yeah back in oh god I don't know it was when what was it called? It was the record store that is now a Dollarama, right on ba- on Bloor and Bathurst. Okay. What was it? Was it uh, Sonic Boom? Was it Sonic Boom? So there was a basement yeah. in Sonic yes. Boom, okay. and myself and a bunch of improvisers did a show called Eight Feet Under, okay. which was based on the TV show Six Feet Under, which I had never seen at the time. <laughs> that didn't apparently matter. Um, and we did, yeah, a site-specific show. Or back okay. then it was Bring Your Own Venue, okay. I guess. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that and that was that like when you first did that, did you know that you'd be going into arts administration? Did you have any idea? About no, that? I mean back then I was just just an actor. Um, <laughs> I was being an actor. Mm-hmm. Um, so no, I did at that point I was still fully kind of committed to that. And then 
Because I moved back and forth from Canada to England, I started, I got involved with the Pleasance in England, um, which runs a venue in Edinburgh and, and London. And, um, and that's when I sort of got into arts admin and it sort of went from there. I started off as their marketing and box office person and then I moved into the general management position there. And then I just really loved it. I really liked being in a fringe environment um, on the other side of it. You know, being a part of it as an actor is, is phenomenal as well, but I just found I got a lot out of it as well, creatively, hmm. I think, being on the other side of the, the stage. Can you, can you speak to the, what was creative for you? Because most people, when they think about arts administration, they don't think about that as, the, as a creative part mm-hmm. of the job. Mm-hmm. Well, I think there's just there's creativity in figuring out like how best to run a festival, right? Mm-hmm. Like because you're you're thinking about it not just in business terms, although obviously that's a huge part of it, but you're thinking about ways to make it interesting and innovative and and have a for the artist to have a, an incredible experience and having done it on that side as well, I know what to what's important. Mm-hmm. I think there's a creativity in building a team and getting the right personalities to sort of mesh together and come up sure. with ideas. And yeah, there's a lot of creativity, especially with, you know, Fringe, with the auxiliary events and the Fringe Club and mm. trying to make that, like that's our creative part, right? Trying to make a, a hockey rink into an exciting <laughs> outdoor patio that people are going to want to spend time in. So yeah. that's great. Like that this year? It, it was, was great. the first time in the new... Yeah, in the new, new space. Yeah. yeah, it was great. We... I think all of our expectations were surpassed in many ways because we had no idea if we what it would be like to be in that space. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the team transformed that space into something really quite beautiful. Yeah. And the community welcomed us. People that didn't know about the fringe were sort of like, what's going on over there? And so we need more of that. We're yeah. pushing that, you know. I think it's important for us to position the fringe club as as an event, right, as an outdoor patio, as yeah. this opportunity for people to come together, not just artists, but people of, of the city to come and sit in this really nice space, watch some free entertainment, mingle with artists, mingle with each other, go and see a show. So I think that we really want to kind of push that as a, you know, a free 12-day event, yeah. basically. Well, I think that's, I mean, that's kind of important because I know, I know people who, who have felt like they can't... They, they feel like they're not welcome at the Fringe Club because to them they feel like, oh, it's for the artists. I know. I was just having this conversation the other day and I think it's, you know, I, I like the fact, and I think behind Honest Ed's it did have that kind of feel mm-hmm. of like a bit <clears throat> cliquey and I can see how people might be intimidated walking into that space. And yeah. so for us it's a challenge to to still make sure that the artists feel like this is their home and they, you know, they are our priority always. But that, yeah, we want to welcome everybody in the community and it benefits the artists to have those people and to welcome those people because they're going to be able to sell their show to them, which is ultimately yeah. what we want. So... So finding ways to yeah to make it a space where anybody can feel like they can walk in that's our that's our challenge and now we're in this more exposed area yeah. really pushing that to get people to come in and and you know see that first and then go oh this is also a festival great yeah. you know? no that's the scanning area is a little more in the open whereas mm-hmm. the the honest dead space sort of felt like it was a walled in exactly location. yeah yeah um, What's interesting for me is is like when I've gone to other fringes because every fringe is different, mm-hmm. and how some fringes um, they're kind of like Toronto where the artist space, the artists and the the people, the audiences mix together at the fringe club, and in other places there's like the fringe club is for the patrons and the artists find 
some other place. Oh, uh, right, which is yeah. A very strange, but it also means that the the fringe club never becomes like an inside baseball mm-hmm. sort of thing, mm-hmm. where the patrons can be there and do their thing, and mm-hmm. the artists sort of mingle, but they don't. They're not there schmoozing. Yeah. <clears throat> Have you had, aside from the connection with Edinburgh, have you have you had a lot of connection or, or been to other fringes outside of Toronto? Um, no, no. I have connections through because Toronto Fringe is part of CAF, which mm-hmm. is the Canadian Association yeah. of Fringe Festivals, um, and so it's my goal to try and get to some of them. It's so hard because. You know, the fringe season basically starts with Orlando, essentially, yeah. and then goes all the way through to September and into it, that starts in sort of, oh no, ex- excuse me, Frigid Festival starts in February, I think, yeah, in New no, York. True, yeah. And then we go all the way through to Vancouver, I think is one of the last yeah. ones in September. And so as of February, we're so busy with fringe, yeah. it's really hard for us to, to go anywhere. And then by the time fringe is done, sort of the last thing you want to do is go to another fringe yeah, <laughs> but yeah. I do really want to go I want to see Winnipeg and I want to see Edmonton because there are contemporaries really in terms of size mm-hmm. and scope um, we have conversations I know that you know the, everybody yeah. that runs those festivals and so we have lots every year we have a conference coming up in November so every year we get together and we talk about each other's fringes mm-hmm. but to actually kind of go and experience them it just hasn't been possible yet it's really in a like and if you, having come from the Toronto Fringe when I went to Winnipeg and Edmonton and the, the experience of saying I'm in the Fringe and having everybody know what that meant. Mm-hmm. Whereas in Toronto, even people who know me, I'm saying, so I've got a show in the Fringe and they're like, what's the Fringe? I know. And that's, I think, one of the hardest things to combat in this city. Yeah, I mean, Toronto is obviously, it's great because there is so much to do. Mm-hmm. There's so much going on. So if to take over a city like Winnipeg does, it's just, you know, the competition is, is much more fierce here yeah. in Toronto. But that's certainly, that's a lot of the conversations we've been having recently um, is about making this more mm-hmm. accessible to the, the greater Toronto, right? And yeah. so this year we are, we're launching extra site-specific spaces mm-hmm. to sort of, reach out geographically speaking across the city and mm. see if we can create some sort of satellite venues to to pique people's interest and hopefully get them to come down to the sort of hub but and also you know it's it's marketing spend right like we mm-hmm. we're a non-for-profit charitable organization we don't take box office revenue so it's you know unfortunately sometimes marketing is where the money gets cut and then mm-hmm. it's it's hard for us to put that message outside of our sort of the parameters that we have i think we did a great job this year with you know really increasing the branding and mm-hmm. we we updated our branding so that was a big part of it but certainly that's where i'd be looking to sort of push the fringe in terms of getting our name out there did you see generally this year an increase in attendance generally yes in yeah we did for we i think it was our best selling year on record um so yeah attendance was great the fringe club suffered because of the rain um we had yeah we had more than usual and also we had the threat of bad weather and as you know the threat of bad weather is is, is, is enough it's it is it's totally it's i think people make up their minds in the morning to go oh it's gonna rain it's gonna thunderstorm whatever so they stay at home um 
So, you know, if a, if a, it's the same with Next Stage coming up as well. We really have to push those pre-sales because once people have a ticket in hand, mm. they're more likely to come. Yeah, yeah. You know, in the dead of winter when Next Stage is happening, if we haven't done those pre-sales, then it's tougher to get people to come out. And it's mm. the same even during Fringe with the rain. That's something that we have to sort of push is the is getting people to commit early. Yeah. So, so but, but having said that, yeah, attendance to the, to the actual shows was up this yeah. year, so that's great. Well, I mean, it's also helpful, I mean, for the artist that, that people can, can buy online. Yeah. <clears throat> in yeah. a way that they, they couldn't, I mean, there people, I remember the first year when people could buy 100% of the tickets online, there was some frustration oh, yeah. showing up. Yeah. I'm sure that you heard about that. Oh, but yeah. It is really good for the artist. It's great for the artist. And yeah. it's, you know, it's the way of the world, right? Like, mm-hmm. it's, it's, um, and I, I think the, the problem was that people sort of thought because 100% of the tickets were available in advance mm. that it meant it would be 100% would be sold out. Unfortunately, the truth is, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, a, a small fraction of shows actually sell out. So yeah. there's nearly always tickets at the door of a venue, yeah. aside from the smaller site specifics or the smaller venues, yeah. you know. Um, but yeah, it encourages people to plan and to make, you know, and there's still lots of spontaneity yeah. at the fringe. But yeah, it's better for the, as a producer of a show, to be able to look at your ticket sales and Instead. have accurate numbers yeah. and not have to rely on selling 50% of those tickets yeah. an hour before the show. It's well, to just, know when you start the day, like, okay, so today we have this many shows exactly. sold, we have to push yeah. to get this many people. It is yeah. so helpful. Yeah, yeah. Or to know, well, we're sold out. Exactly. There's no reason to go out. Yeah, we can relax. Yeah. yeah, which you know, very few people get to get to do, but it's nice if you can. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of, I mean, in terms of expanding the brand, and sort of like adding the satellite venues, are there other things that you want to see um, done? Uh, an idea that you have for the future of the I think we're just looking at ways to be a, a bit more of a service organization so whether that's through our box office our performance portal like how we can sort of help artists throughout the year I think we do a really great job when someone in, is in fringe from sort of February on right up until the festival mm-hmm. of helping them step by step which allows them to then go on and produce, you know, self-produce shows. And I think there might be other ways that we can support people mm-hmm. throughout the year with particularly in independent theatre, you know, mm-hmm. small companies that need box office support or whatever that looks like. I don't, yeah. I don't know exactly, but I think positioning ourselves a little bit more in that way. And, and one of the things that, that, that people, I think, felt with the, you know, the move to your the new the new location was the loss of the... the uh, the rehearsal spaces. The, oh, the, yeah, the, the creation work, app, the yeah. Creation hub, which is really, you know, I think a lot of people, you know, we're leaning on mm-hmm. a bit. Is that something that you want to see restored or is that something that's just not feasible? In the, well, in the I think it's, we, you know, we're in a sort of research phase right now. Mm-hmm. We're just about to, we're undergoing, um, we will be undergoing a new, another strategic plan. So adding on to the one that we just finished. Um, and so a lot of that will be around creation lab space or rehearsal space it will be around you know whether or not we need to have a year-round venue like other fringes do Mm. i think you know the creation lab the model of six dollars an hour is probably not sustainable in this climate you can't rent a space to then you know rent to um for people to use for workshops or rehearsal space at that amount anymore and i think People are used to now. I mean, I think probably the cheapest in the city is ten, twelve dollars an hour. Where are yeah. yeah. So you know, the people that were spending six dollars have probably either gone up 
and spent the 10 or have gone back to sort of, you know, their living rooms and yes, coffee yeah, shops yeah. and stuff like that to do what they were doing before. Um, so I, I, I think it will depend, you know, and the other hard part is trying to find a space that's accessible because there are, you know, there are places we looked, we looked for a long time when, when the create, when we first knew we were going to be without the creation lab at CSI, we looked and the problem is that so many of them were these sort of older buildings. They were, you know, either in the basement or upstairs with no yeah. elevator. And with our commitment to accessibility, we just simply can't do that. Yeah. So that's a big, um, you know, that's a, that's something we have to consider as well, finding space, ground mm -hmm. level space, or at least uh, elevator accessible space. Yeah. And also just the running of that space, you know, like it takes some admin uh, times as well. It, yeah. And so we kind of have to look at as well as like what is what is the purpose of the Toronto Fringe and, you know, what should we be focusing on mm -hmm. and where are we most needed in the community? Um, so I think that's what we'll find out as we sort of undergo the strategic plan. I definitely think, you know, this office is great, but again, we don't have a sort of separate meeting room mm -hmm. and it's not accessible. So these are right. things that we'd like to change over the next little while as well. So, yeah, we'll see. Yeah. <clears throat> Do you mind if I ask you a couple of, like, uh, I would call it a bit of a difficult question? Sure. Um, so, having, having gone on a couple of, <coughs> a couple of fringe tours, <coughs> Toronto, Toronto Fringe is a bit of an outlier in terms of the, what other cities would call the BYOV, the bring your own venue, that Toronto Fringe refers to as the site-specific. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You have places like Edmonton, which has uh, a couple of spaces which are curated um, BYOV spaces that, and, and Winnipeg has, has similar things, but, and Toronto had that for a little while, or had the ability to do that, and then, and then sort of backed off and sort of like came, started doing the, the site specific. Um, in terms of the reason behind that, do you see that as sort of a, a barrier to to some groups, or is it? What's, what is your feeling on the difference between the BYOV and the site specific? Well, I think when you say curated at Winnipeg or Edmonton, mm -hmm. is it curated by the fringe or by the uh, the owners of the venue? By the venue owner. So yeah. yeah, so it would be similar to like a small theater space here, yeah. saying oh, we'll open our doors mm -hmm. and be. Yeah, so I think you know originally the idea was that it was it was sort of felt like it was an people were able to bypass the lottery process mm -hmm. so they could go and, and have like a mini hub of a, sure. of a venue. And, um, and because the fringe is all about the lottery or first come first mm -hmm. served, it didn't feel like it was fitting in with sure. the mandate of that. So, and then I think, I mean, I wasn't around when that the decision was made to move to site specifics, but my understanding is that the intention was to, to have a more dynamic use of space mm -hmm. so that it became, it wasn't just about doing another theater show. We have those. It was about offering our audience and our artists something alternative. So a space that was part of the show that you sure. couldn't just be like, I didn't get in the lottery. I'm just going to rent this theater space and use it instead. It was like, I'm going to do a show in a bathroom or whatever. So I think that's exciting in that respect. We've taught, we've gone back and forth about potentially having spaces that are sort of fringe approved and then people can apply to them i think for me it's about figuring out what the saturation point is right like i don't want to start i mean i don't want to start over programming and having too many shows when when not enough shows are selling out not enough shows are getting their best audience there's a fine balance i think of like wanting to offer as much as possible in in, with the intent that you bring more people, they're going to see more stuff. Sure, yeah. But there's also a point where you go, this is too many shows. It's not, yeah. it's not manageable anymore. Mm. So 
I think with the site, because a lot of the site specifics are well, as well as smaller venues, mm-hmm. then you, you can program more in that respect. And the truth is as well, it may be that a model that we have to sort of look at because venue rentals are just um, more and more expensive. And yeah. so the site specific model is, you know, a little bit more uh, affordable for us as an organization to be able to sure. do it that way. Yeah. So it's it's a balance, you know. Yeah. I think I, I want to be able to offer the main venues. And, you know, we work with a number of venues, as you know, in the city who who look after us and, you know, uh-huh. and, yeah. and help us as the fringe because they want us there. Um, but, you know, those costs go up and, and our, rev- our revenue doesn't go no, up. Yeah. So that's the that's the struggle. So. Yeah. So we'll see what happens with site specifics. I'm curious to see how this, you know, idea of the satellite venues and increasing the neighborhood sections, see what that brings to us. We're sort of leaving it open to see what people want to pitch to us. Um, But I think it's about creating um, a diversity in venue, and I think it's about creating opportunities for people um, that are specific about the show, you know, that it isn't just a way of... of, um, doing a, a show that they could do in a theater, sure. you know? In the satellite venues, are you putting any limitations on where in the city they could be? Or could somebody come and say, I have a, I have a venue that I want to do in North York? I mean, what we've said, what we're going to say, we're announcing them next week, is that it's TTC accessible, essentially. Uh-huh. So that okay. it's, as long as someone can get there by TTC, I sort of feel like it's possible to do something in North York. Yeah. I think yeah. it could be kind of cool to do something in North York. You know, we'll put together a sort of, we're putting suggestions of neighborhoods that people might want to be interested in, uh-huh. like the Danforth or High Park sure. or, you know, Roncesvalles, um, and just seeing what comes to us and then, sure. and then take it from there. So mm. we'll see if people are interested in doing it. That's well, cool. It is cool. I think I'm trying to think of venue because the the idea of one of the things about the the smaller area is people can walk like yeah okay it's a bit of a hike sometimes to go from one to another but yeah you could walk from one venue to another yeah which is which is one of the exciting things about about fringe and it's it's confined space but yeah there are so many spaces outside of that that are crying out for I think so and I think you know we've done a lot of kind of analysis of our audience and we know that people are coming from across the city so um, you know they may be coming just for one night to see a show so if they if they can also see a show that's in their neighborhood as well and they don't you know obviously the the idea is that they go and see a show um, in the East End and then pick up a fringe brochure and go oh this is also happening great I'm going to come and see more but even if they just go and see something in their neighborhood I think that's kind of nice to you know going back to your point of like being known across the city, right? Yeah. Like we have to go into those neighborhoods for them to know us. Well, that is that is that is true. That is true because right now it is a little bit. Insulting. It's very yeah, yeah, very kind of West End focus. We talk to each other about friends. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Um, I want to. Uh, back off on talking about Fringe for a bit. I want to talk a little bit more about 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 you and your theater life because <clears throat> we sort of touched on that a bit. When did you first start thinking? Like, when did you first decide that theater was something you were interested in? Oh my goodness! Do you remember your first theater experience? Well, I mean, when I was, you know, I have three sisters. We would put on plays, you know, every holiday, every possible chance. You know, I would write stuff. We would perform stuff. So since I was a kid, we were just talking about that the other day. Like, at what point? Why? Why? I think my my parents took us to see theater a lot, so I was exposed to it, and you know. Mm-hmm sort of fell in love with it and then you know did drama did did sort of drama clubs outside of school and mm. was in the local pantomime and things yeah. like that so from a young age I was performing yeah 
and then just you know kept, kept going. Were you the instigator of those holiday plays, or can you even pinpoint who was the person who was like? It was probably my elder sister yeah. to start off with, but eventually, because of the age gap, I guess okay. it was my myself and my younger sister, and I was definitely the mm-hmm. instigator. I made her. You were the middle child. There's two above me and one below me. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Middle-ish. Yeah, middle-ish, exactly. Yeah. And when did you start doing stuff outside <laughs> of the the stuff that you did in your living room? I mean, probably. I think my first sort of like public thing was the pantomime, and I must have been probably about twelve or thirteen, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think. Yeah. And did you? When when did you come to to, to Toronto? Toronto? Yeah. Um, the first time was in two thousand and one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What brought you here? A boy. Uh, so how I, I wanted to say was it a boy, but I don't want to it assume was a boy. that. It was yeah. a boy. Yeah. Yeah. And how long were you here? I was here that time on and off for around four years. Okay. I kept, I would kind of go back and forth, and then I went home for about three years as I applied for the permanent residency and then while I was living in England I got the paperwork to say that I could come back to Canada and then was sort of intending to come back to Toronto and then got a job offer in Montreal to work for Just for Laughs so moved to Montreal not knowing anyone and uh, started a life in Montreal. How did how how like did you speak French in Montreal? I mean, very very basic. Yeah. yeah. How was that? I mean, I know as a visitor, I can get by in Montreal with my almost non-existent French, but as somebody living and working there, how how is that? It was tough, you know. I mean, I worked in the English part of Just mm-hmm. for Laughs, so my colleagues all spoke English, but uh, I was very determined to speak French. So whenever I went anywhere, I would speak French, and often they would be they would speak to me in English, and I would just keep speaking in French, uh, which I'm sure was super frustrating. But I was like, if I'm living in Montreal, I want to live in Montreal. I'm yeah. going to speak the language. So I spoke French a lot, and my French was pretty good by the end of it. It's all gone now. But oh well, yeah. I was about to ask how it is now. But yeah, it's how pretty, long has it been since you used it? I mean, probably since I lived in Montreal. So, okay. what's that like seven years ago now, or something? So, yeah. yeah. It's always when I when I've uh, been involved with the, the Montreal Fringe, the way that the staff just flips back and forth. I know it's incredible. Yeah. Just floors me. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and and uh, they have their their evening show, technically a morning show, the thirteenth. Thirteenth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Where the hosts will flip back and forth, and it's just like always, like. How are you doing this? I know magic? it's very cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, when you when you left uh, just for laughs, was that to come to Toronto, or did you go back to England at that point? No, I came to Toronto. I quit just for laughs and sort of didn't really have a plan, um, mm-hmm. and so sort of messed around in Montreal for a while. Mm-hmm. But the whole time with an eye on moving back to Toronto. But it was hard. Like, people, it, it's hard in this city, I think, you know. People want to hire people from Toronto, course, you know. Yeah. So I had to sort of prove myself. And then um, yeah. Necessary Angel took a chance on me. And so oh. I was able to come back with them. And and from there, just sort of moved into Summerworks and then Fringe. Mm. Yeah. How, how was working at Summerworks? Like, how long were you with Summerworks before you came Two years, Two years, I guess. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, in terms of like, if you were to compare the, I didn't want to, like, it's hard to, hard to, to even put the question together, but, um, cause they're two very different festivals. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, one very curated and one is a beautiful anarchy decided <laughs> by a lottery. Um, did you find uh, a certain, 
uh, like, did you enjoy your time at SummerWorks, or was that? Uh... Yeah, I did. I mean, it was hard work. Like, I, there had only been uh, Joanna before me who had done that the general management position. Mm-hmm. So before then, there hadn't that that position hadn't even existed. So it had been you know Michael and before him Franco and you know people kind of doing all, kind of like Laura is now doing everything, yeah. which is hard. Yeah. It's so hard, and so there was a lot to sort of catch up with to yeah. kind of make the organization solid um so it was hard work you know it's a much smaller team it's you know you don't have as much money um it's a smaller budget you know but it was great i mean it was a real introduction to so many artists in the city and so many great people that i got to work with so i'm glad i did it but then moving to fringe i was like oh there are people that you know reconcile the box office. I don't have to do that, or you know, all the kind of stuff that I had done at Summer Works by myself. Mm-hmm. I then had a staff at Fringe to to yeah. help with, so that was a big thing. You know, the Fringe is very, even though they've been around for almost the same amount of time, the Fringe has just got a really solid base to it. So it's kind of a luxury walking into yeah. I an think organization. Summer Works has changed what it is. Yeah. Uh, of when it, they, I remember when they started, and it was like Fringe light. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, it was a first come first serve. I remember. Um, oh, was it? Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Like, you can get your application in in the door. Yeah. In time, you were in the show. In. Um, and I think I always feel like it's a little less defined as as a as a as a thing. And well, I mean, fringe is what it is, and it's it's like just. Like it's so democratic and it could be anything. Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, that's the difference, I guess, is like having an executive director and having an artistic Mm. director. You know, I think that Laura has, you know, I hope she sticks it out because I think now she's kind of gone through it and Mm -hmm. and she will be able to, I think, help define where Summer Works sits within the the sort of culture of the the city, you know, Mm. because, um, yeah, it's, it's a very different festival. Um, and I think she'll, she'll do great things with it yeah. for sure. She already is, but yeah, I think yeah. I think she, if she has the time and, and she gets the resources, she'll it'll be it'll be great. Yeah. No, there was some pretty spectacular stuff this summer. Oh, was it? Yeah, yeah, I didn't get to see it. There I went back of, um, Well, uh, there was uh, the one show, the the drag show, where they put up a, a revival tent in the theater, like they closed. Oh the wow! Space oh the yeah, yeah, yeah. I heard. This yeah, very awesome. cool. Yeah. yeah. Um, <clears throat> And, and you've also got next day mm-hmm. about as well. You know, um, when in the cycle do you start turning your attention to next day, or, or is there a way to divide the two mm-hmm. thought processes? No, there, it's, this, it sort of all happens at the same time. So because we, you know, we program next stage throughout sort of the end of fringe and beginning of. Well, end of July essentially, so that we've programmed it by the beginning of August, mm-hmm. and then. So people know. So we have next stage lined up. At the same time, we actually I, last year I delayed like the lottery and all of the contest for by a month because I, a everybody either applies on the first or the last day, so they right, really right, don't right, need yeah. two months. Um, and so it gave us a bit of breathing room to focus a bit more on next stage. So, but essentially we're kind of juggling. So we have next stage everything happening with next stage right now, as well as administering the lottery, administering mm-hmm. the new play contest. Uh, the Paul O'Sullivan, the Theatre Creative Reserve, which is now yeah. called something else. But so it's all kind of happening. And then and then we really, once the lottery is done, which will be December 1st this year, mm-hmm. so there'll be about a week of stuff 
admin around that, then we kind of ignore fringe mm -hmm. until after next stage. Yeah. And then as soon as next stage is done, then we revert back to fringe. So there's a good two months where next stage gets, is my number one child. Right. But for like, it never really stops. Like, no, no, no. People do, yeah, I think people always like, what do you do for the rest of the year? But it's, you know, it's a, it's a full time, full yeah. on year round yeah. um, adventure. <laughs> but next stage is nice because it's much smaller and we get to see all the shows and you're mm. much we're much more involved with the companies and it's a ever, nice do you ever get to see the free, free shows or are you just too busy I see a couple like I saw yeah. three this year yeah. so I, I try and see a couple especially if there's stuff that we have an eye on for next stage I'll try and see stuff um but normally, yeah. The the thing is, as well, I was saying this the other day, during Fringe, you're just kind of, you're not the best audience member. You know, no. you're tired, you're focused on other stuff, you're worried who's trying to get you on the radio, so um, you, you don't make a good... Yeah. Um, yeah, you don't make a good person in the audience. So <laughs> next stage is better because we, we're much more relaxed and the nights aren't so long, yeah. so... I mean, I think one of the things that a lot of people don't even know is, is like, during Fringe... What are you doing? Because, I mean, obviously there's a lot to do, but I think that, that most people who are involved with Fringe, they would have no idea what the executive director or the general manager mm. does. Yeah. I mean, you know, you're really, most of it is, is reacting, mm -hmm. you know, you're there for when things go wrong. I mean, certainly as the managing director, I was there to support all of the team. So I'd be there when people had issues, people wanted to talk through stuff, you know, you're kind of a bit of a cheerleader mm -hmm. and also you're dealing with most of the complaints. So I, I think people don't realize with the fringe, you, yeah, you know, yeah, our yeah, patrons, yeah. our artists, they have direct access to the managing director and executive director. Mm -hmm. So often we're dealing with the minutiae of the organization. Sure. Um, and then we're there as a presence throughout the whole evening to make sure to oversee, you know, if there's anything that goes wrong, if there are any security incidences, like anything, we're just overseeing the whole thing. So really, Fringe is bonkers. Like it's, yeah. it's nonstop. It's not very much sleep. Um, because you're jet, there's always just something to consider. You know, the goal obviously is that you've set everything up so it's all going to run smoothly. And it does, but for sure, there's They're every day. Things, of course, yeah. there's just stuff that happens, you know. Do you find that you spend most of your time in the office or are you out running around everywhere? No, I'm mostly in the office. Yeah. Because, you know, if there's an issue, the front of house managers will go or the volunteer, you know, corners will go at all the production manager, technical director. They kind of are more out on the field, myself right. and. Kelly would spend most of our time. We're we're quite heavily involved with the box office. I would say, like that's a lot of what we're doing. So, dealing with our working with our box office manager to, to you know, kind of facilitate that. Yeah. And one of the another thing I, I it's sort of great because people can like talk about like things that they don't usually get to see. But what is what goes into the uh, the lottery? Inter like some people just think you know you apply there's a bunch of numbers and there you go but what what goes into the lottery for free well i mean because there's, there's different categories so this is our first year that we're using our new performance portal so you can apply now online and you can apply to whichever category is um in the main lottery that you want to so you know, ontario 16 90 french kids dance international national there's also um you can also at the same time apply for our culturally diverse artist project if you're eligible which is free to apply um and you can choose the same categories you know ontario 60 etc um it's not bound by any geography i don't think and then there's also our accessible lottery so that's um so both of those are free lotteries and if you get accepted into those lotteries um if you get accepted into the fringe you don't pay the participation right. fee so it's great so now you can apply if you're eligible you can apply for all three things at once sure. or whatever of the things you do so once that's so once it's closed off you've paid your 29 bucks 
um, and give us your money to pay if you do get accepted. We don't cash it. I know some fringes cash it and then return it. We don't do that. No, no, we no, just yeah, hold yeah. on to it. It would be a nightmare. Um, it's, it's actually like really nerve-wracking for those ones that do like give them the money, they cash it, and then if you don't get in, they give it back. Yeah. I wonder, how do you even manage that? Because you're giving back more money than you're actually taking. Yeah, no, I know. it's too. That feels to me like too much of an admin yeah. nightmare. So we just keep the details or checks or whatever and then so once the lottery's closed we then will go through them to make sure that people haven't made mistakes to be like you applied for national but you live in Toronto and that kind of stuff which happens a little bit and then all the numbers will get randomly assigned so everybody gets a number then they'll then they in within their category and then they will be emailed their number so if you've applied for more than one lottery you'll get three different numbers or two different numbers and then we have a bunch of cards with the numbers already on them. We'll add to the numbers if there are more in each category. We They get strung together. And then um, on the night of the lottery, those batches of numbers get taken around the audience to be verified to make sure that yeah. if it says number 1 to 50 is in this pile, somebody checks through to make sure numbers 1 to 50 people. We get a little post-it note and it gets signed off by three or four people just in the audience to make sure that there's no funny business or if a card has been removed because someone's dropped out or hasn't paid their fee, mm. then that's clear as well. And then they literally get cut. The string gets cut on the night into the big blue bin shaked around and then we have our nstf artists come and pull numbers out of the bin and always people think you know oh shake it up shake it up but it's like it's random they're in there squealing around with their hand pulling out a number shake it up that's that's the that's the optics of it because i think all of those things happen because there are always those people yep who say oh it's fixed yeah it's great people every year It's not the random. Yeah. There's always those naysayers, but there's so many things yeah. that are done to show that it's not. It's like not, the yeah. So like much that. stuff, yeah. and and the truth is, it's just chance. And certainly, like you know, in the national, you'll see sometimes, yeah, the same people um, get picked year after year, and and it's but they're it's the, because of the size of the national. Exactly, there's less. You know, you've got more chance of getting into that than you do Ontario 60, yeah. right? Because there's like 500 people that apply or something yeah. for that for you know. Not very many spaces. Like, so, yeah, spaces well, this year there'll be a hundred. Yeah, I don't. I can't remember exactly what it is, but yeah, something like that. Yeah. And then we do. We're part of the CAF lottery as well. So for the touring, like one, at least one of the slots goes to CAF. Right? Yeah, yeah. Well, up to ten slots can go yeah. to CAF. Yeah. yeah. So depending on who gets pulled from that, if they're international, national, or yeah. Ontario, um, and what category they choose. So yeah. 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 It's not the highest odds to get in. No, no. I, I mean, we, I think everybody from Toronto has applied at least once. We all know. I know. The odds are, <clears throat> the odds are against you. And the odds are not in your favor. No. And, and it's, it's one of those, but that's part of it, and that's part of the excitement of it, because it could be, yeah. could be anybody. Exactly, and that's the joy of yeah. it. And I, I would love to find a way, where we're trying to talk about this, like for those people that could somehow, if we had the proof, I don't know that, our records would go back far enough to prove that some if you had applied 10 or more times to the fringe and never got in you could uh, you could be entered into a separate lottery sure, and so yeah. one person from there would get pulled that had we knew for a fact had applied and never got in um, but I don't know how that, we would that, figure that, that out. very difficult to administer yeah. because there's a whole long time that things were not really that computerized. Exactly, yeah. We have to um, rely on people's yeah. honesty. And it's strange. You know, <laughs> yeah. There's, there's people who, there's all those people who are like, so if you apply under this name and you apply under oh this God, name, we which know. is like, 
is there, I mean, I know you guys look for that. Is there, do you have like ways of finding it or is it just like? No, I mean, I, you know, I can sort of hazard guess as if I recognize names and go, I'm pretty sure this is, but you know, I, the, the point is, you know, we've talked before about, cause some, some fringes don't have the same rules as that. So in theory, you know, you kind of go, well, what's the harm? If somebody wants to apply five times and pay, pay the fee five times, why not? We make more money. They stand more chance. But then it just takes away this feeling of fairness Absolutely. because then somebody Absolutely. that's like, well, I can't afford to pay five times. Yeah. I can only afford one time. And then if you get pulled more than once, how do I know which product, you know, and yeah. I'm going to have you in the fringe doing two shots. Like it's, yeah. so it's easy for us to go, one show each. If it comes, you know, we know that obviously people try and find ways, but uh-huh. most people are, it's like them and a buddy and of they course. work it out. Yeah. That's fine, of course. Yeah. But I think the idea being that you just want to kind of make it as fair, yeah. especially financially fair. No, because I mean, if, if somebody could put in as many applications as they wanted, somebody who had a lot of money could really, yeah. Yeah, exactly. really put in a lot. And yeah. it's not a democratic Exactly, thing. yeah. Yeah. Um, on the night of the fridge, like who. Who does the work of planning out the, the the fringe lottery night and how that goes? Is there do you have an events director who does that, or is it just like everybody just pitches in? And, everybody yeah? pitches in, so it's mostly been me, and so hopefully by this point there'll be a new me to do that, <laughs> so I can pass it on. But we have, you know, everybody sort of works on different things. So Tessa, our communications, will be dealing with the logistics about, you know, we have people, we film people, or we fo- we photograph people mm-hmm. who've won, and they sort of have the little chalkboard saying I I won the lottery, and we do you know, press on the night essentially mm-hmm. for them. And then Cody takes care of our, you know, donors and sponsors that need to be there. And we order a big cake. Mm-hmm. So we have Kevin working with us right now, our projects manager, he'll help with a lot of that stuff, but mostly it's just the team and, yeah. you know, it's, and then we get some of the board members to come and verify and Sue Edworthy comes and tweets for us. And so we have like, we have a good system. Yeah. One of my favorite things is the Sue Edworthy tweets. Yeah. <laughs> Even if I'm in the room, I always like to follow the yeah. There's a lot of personality. In yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and uh, is there, what's your favorite part of the lottery night? Um, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's, that's the part where it's like, it feels, oh, this is happening. You know, it's very yeah. exciting. It's kind of sad because oftentimes there are more people in the room that are disappointed than happy, of course. but it's, you know, it's nice when you're there and seeing someone's getting someone gets in you yeah. know that night and they're so excited and happy like it's it's nice when you see names that you recognize and as a producer yeah. i kind of go oh that's good news i'm glad they're in so you know that's kind of fun and then it's just like a chance for us as a staff to kind of go and hang out and you know yeah. you get to meet um you just get to meet people you yeah. know who are interested in yeah. stuff and it's just yeah it's been a fun event you know we've been doing mm. it at the transact for a few years now and it's it's just a nice it's kind of a little kickstart to the the fringe season. I always feel like it's nice to do it at the Transact because yeah, that's sort too. of like the old home yeah. of the fringe. Yeah, that's what the, I the remember. The fringe outgrow. I mean, I remember um, the fringe tent and having to vacate at 11 o'clock yeah. and go inside, inside because yeah. the neighbors were angry and yeah. that sort of thing. But it, like, it's it's nice to, to go back there at least for Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Pay homage to yeah. the Transact. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah. yeah. Um, in terms of, so you've got Next Stage and, and that's now set, right? Yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, you've, that you've got the fringe lottery coming up. This, yeah. this will go out uh, like the week of the fringe lottery. Oh, okay. So we'll be talking about we'll be talking about fringe that very week. And uh, is there like there's so many things that you're doing? Is there something that 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 you most look forward to in 
the coming weeks, months? Is there like one thing that's like your bright point? I'm looking forward to going to the CAF conference, which is in San Diego this year. Ooh, so nice. that'll be nice. That was Montreal last year, right? Yeah, because yeah. they did World Fringe in Montreal. Right. So it, it that's the first time World Fringe was outside. That's right, of, outside, outside of Edinburgh. Edinburgh. Yeah. So that's really nice because we get I get to hang out with all pe- with people that do this mm-hmm. every day, and yeah. we all get each other and we swap ideas, and you kind of come back full of like, oh, we could try this, and so we've come we've. It's been such a huge learning opportunity to go and do that. So that's really fun. And then, yeah, I'm excited for the new person to start in the managing director position so that we c- I can kind of really settle into yeah. the exec position and, and kind of start planning some radical things. Well, it's going to be hard to be doing both jobs. Yeah, it's a bit exhausting at the moment. Yeah. yeah. Do you already have, like, you, they, you know where that person's going to sit and you look wistfully over it? Well, it's funny. I'm still at my desk and oh. I'm, I'm going to be moving over to the exec desk. <laughs> I feel like I need to psychologically make the change, but I haven't done well, it yet. Absolutely. But I, mean, I will. Yeah. Moving yeah. a desk is a, is a big step. I think yeah. so, yeah. And Kelly always kept her desk much tidier than mine, so I'm hoping <laughs> that that will rub off on me. <laughs> Maybe it will. Yeah, we'll the see. The ghost of Kelly will exactly. help, you, help you keep your desk yeah. cleaner. Yeah. Um, well, thank you so much for, for talking with me. Oh, it's been me, my pleasure. Anytime. Thank you. Thank you.